Welcome to another episode of Running the Race podcast. RTR is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana, and strives to provide a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To learn more about FBCG, head over to our website at www.fbcg.net. It's loaded with resources we hope you'll find helpful. Today's episode is about handling theological differences. Senior Pastor Jim Law and Minister to Students Alex Ray explore the idea of theological triage. In doing so, they attempt to answer the questions, how can believers who hold different convictions show grace to one another? Which hills are the hills to die on? And how does all this make us more like Christ? I am Jim Law here with Alex Ray, uh, the Running the Race podcast. We're going to be looking at uh, theological triage today. Uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And all things, charity. Alex, that quote is often attributed to Augustine, but upon further digging, um, a 17th century German Lutheran theologian by the name of Rupertus Meldinius actually phrased this for a booklet on Christian unity written in the 1600s. And then Puritan writers Writers like Richard Baxter used it um, in their writings. And this seems to strike the right balance as Christians. How do we process doctrine together? Mm-hmm. How do we um, determine what's essential? What's the core truth of our union with Christ? And then non-essentials, not that they're unimportant, but those things that, if lacking, um, uh, do not prevent our union uh, with Christ and our salvation. And what does liberty look like? We live in such a cancel culture, you know, such hostility when there are disagreements on even smaller matters of doctrine. Very polarized. So how do we show love even in those um, situations? I mean, we're a church that emphasizes uh, doctrinal commitment. I mean, we're a covenant um, body. Mm-hmm. We have a statement of faith that means much to us. It's at the heart of our existence. So, you know, as you think with me about doctrine, why is that important? Looking at a theological framework for that. Yeah, well, I think of, uh, when we think of doctrine and think of what it means to be thinking about God, I think the first thing that you remember is that everybody's a theologian. That every time you talk about God, you're, you're doing the work of a theologian. You're, you're, studying about, you're studying God and his word, studying God and his world. Um, and then you're, when you're thinking about him and having conversations with other believers, you're doing the work of a theologian. Uh, it's not just for seminarians, it's not just for pastors. Uh, every Christian is ultimately a theologian. And so what we think about God very much matters. And so, but of course, over, over the time of uh, being part of a body of Christ, uh, people have um, different understandings of Scripture. Uh, they bring uh, different background to the text. And so part of doing life together is learning how to navigate those sort of discussions uh, together. And so when you have doctrine, you have to remember it, it's not a light thing what we're talking about here. The, that talking about God isn't something that should be done lightly. It should be done freely, but we also should consider, consider the weight of what it is that we're discussing. I think, too, from start to finish, as you, we just do a panorama of the Bible, we see where um, doctrine and truth uh, are at the heart of Israel's commitments mm-hmm. with the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And then the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord your God is one. Mm-hmm. And the call for Israel to walk in truth. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John 17, Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. 
And then I think of the pastoral letters where Paul, uh, in 1 Timothy in particular, just emphasizes to Timothy that doctrine guides your life. And in chapter 4, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, that much is at stake uh, with that. We live in an anti-doctrinal age. I think um, that as pastors and shepherds, we need to be promoting uh, the joy of God's truth. And that as we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that um, it's, it's producing fruit in our life. It's, um, it brings about change. I think there have been some good trends that have changed that in the church. I think of the ministries of um, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, uh, Together for the Gospel. Uh, these movements in evangelicalism have really emphasized the doctrinal commitment and that we're to behold our God and, and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Yeah, and do you on a regular basis? I'm thinking back to the Deuteronomy six passage that you mentioned. The other part of that chapter that that God tells them to think about it on a regular basis. That as you're going in, as you're going out, you're supposed to put these things forth to your children and have ongoing conversation about who God is. And so it's not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but it's every single day that we're to be talking about this about these sorts of things and looking for ways to redeem our time to have these kind of conversations. So then that that brings it to the next question of this, which is when we're having, again, having the discussion about who God is, and let's imagine you and I are having a discussion about any number of things, and we might see, we might see this issue differently. Um, how do we know then, if, given that we're, we're brothers in Christ, um, I'm not doubting your salvation because we disagree, you're not doubting my salvation because we disagree. How do we know then which hills are hills to die on? Al Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a number of years ago uh, came out with a really interesting article where he uh, was born in Florida. Good thing come from Florida, as you know. And his mom uh, was a nurse, and uh, he talked about you know watching her um, as he was growing up, how people were not always treated the same way when they went to the ER. And so if you had someone who came in with sniffles or a fever waiting in the ER— and they got there first. They've been waiting there for a little while. And then there's someone that comes in there with a very significant injury, say it's a gunshot wound or you know something extreme like that. Even though the person with the fever been waiting for a while, the person with the more serious injury gets attended to first. So they do a triage of the medical wing every single day. And so Mueller kind of takes this framework and says, hey, we can do the same thing when it comes to doctrine. We can have a doctrinal triage. That's a really interesting way. I think I, I think it's a helpful way to understand how do we know which hill to hill to die on. Right. And uh, he posted that on his website. He wrote that in 2005, and it later became a part of his book, The Disappearance of God. Uh, he calls it a theological triage, and really his emphasis is for Christian maturity, that believers aren't right. um, entering into these barn-burning conflicts over second, third-tier preferences. Right. And so, you know, the word triage means to sort, and you painted the picture of the ER, and that would be true in how we process doctrine. The triage is important, you know, just as we think about top tier, let's take tier one, and that would be the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. the humanity of Christ, the Trinity. These are major, they're a major focus of the early councils of the Christian church, and so they came um, with in that process of things that must be affirmed biblically in order to be a Christian. Right. When I first started my pastoral work here, I uh, 
I connected with some friends uh, who played basketball in the morning. And so we met at the Mormon gym. Mm. And in the course of, you know, those mornings, uh, I had wonderful conversations with Mormon friends. Mm. And uh, that led to, well, how come, you know, we all believe in the same thing. And it led to, no, we really don't. And to say we have a different view of God and we have a different view of authority, Mm -hmm. namely the scriptures alone, and we have a different view of who Jesus is and we have a different view of salvation. And to be able to say these are top-tier matters and if you deny them, I can't affirm that that's that's Christianity. So there's a sense where we go back to the scripture, sola scriptura, that is the authority for what we believe, but also that we have a kinship with those who've gone before us with regard to matters that are top tier mm-hmm. regarding essentials of the nature and character of God, salvation, uh, the authority of scripture and so forth. Yeah. Resurrection of Christ would be another one as yeah, well. Right. And going back to the Trinity, I, I remember uh, when Benny Hinn, who's still very much around, I remember when he said that there, uh, there were nine gods. Yeah. Uh, he said that the the Father had a trinity of his own, and the Spirit had a trinity of his own, and the Son had a trinity of his own. And so you add that up, and there's nine gods in the Godhead. Yeah. And um, he said that's obviously a very significant first-tier difference. So that would be a hill to die on. You know, if we had Benny here, be able to say, no, that, that's wrong, and here's why. So that is the hill to die on, uh, our, our Mormon friends, and I do emphasize friend there. Uh, we, have, we can be friends with them, but we can at the same time, too, say, we don't mean the same thing. We're using the same words, but we're using different dictionaries. And to lovingly say, for, for, for me, as I understand the scripture, this is the difference between heaven and hell. This right. is the difference between forgiveness and uh, being lost. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, to be able to say that um, faithfully to them, I think it's important. And just you know, as far as loving my neighbor, I want to love them and be a good friend to them. In fact, it's been years since I've seen... Um, one of those who met in those early morning basketball games. And I saw him recently and we embraced in the, you know, in the parking lot uh, at a store as we were running an errand. As Christians, we're called to be faithful in those, uh, in those contexts too. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the same thing. Right. And uh, that leads us to the second tier. You know, the reason we have denominations is because earnest believers disagree on secondary matters, not unimportant, but with regard to baptism, church leadership, the gifts of the Spirit, that runs into a second tier, and is why you have different denominations who practice uh, their faith differently, a sense of we just are not going to agree in this life. Mm -hmm. And so we want to affirm top-tier issues and affirm gospel-honoring ministry wherever we can, Mm -hmm. even though we may disagree on second-tier matters. Yeah, so we're not doubting their... Neither party is doubting each other's salvation. We agree on the fundamentals. We're keeping the main mm-hmm. thing the main thing, mm-hmm. but there are issues of practical effects on how we do life together. Yes. And so if I believe that baptism can be done by sprinkling, for example, and you at the Good Southern Baptist do not think that, then we're going to have issues. And we're, it's going to be mm-hmm. hard for us to exist, even though we, we affirm the main things, the second tier issues are going to call. It would cause me to go my other way, mm-hmm. uh, to, go, right. to go a different way. A violation of conscience, and you know, just we believe so strongly that the New Testament holds up a believer's baptism, mm-hmm. and that's just incompatible with paedo baptism. Sure, baptizing infants. That as well, yeah. And then third tier would be where Christians uh, disagree on 
other matters of doctrine and are able to remain in fellowship together within the same church. What would you put in that category? Uh, details surrounding the second coming of Christ. Uh, I think some bleed over between two and three. Spiritual gifts and the, the use of spiritual gifts, cessationism and... Um, um, continuationism. Uh, yeah, and continuationism would be, I think, would fall into that category depending on how strongly those views are held. I think uh, issues surrounding um, predestination, election, mm-hmm. or knowledge fall into those uh, categories depending sure. on how strongly they're held. And so for my part as a pastor, I want to, you know, on essentials to be unified with those who love the gospel, non-essentials, I want to extend liberty and then in all things charity. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean we're to live life without conviction. Mm-hmm. So when I go into preach, Alex, it's not like I got my finger in the wind. I really want the text of Scripture to speak to our church body. And part of understanding you, that you have a pastor who has conviction, and he's got to make decisions concerning uh, what the text says. And mm-hmm. So we talked about um, what it means to have grounding, uh, what the grounding and justification is for triage itself, and what— you know, the, kind of implicit in that is what are the hills to die on? And and I think most obviously those would be the first tier issues that you kind of already, we've kind of already discussed. And we see that like in first Corinthians uh, chapter 15, where Paul says that he delivered to you, to us as readers as well, uh, a first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was risen from the dead. He appeared to a number of people. That's a first tier issue. He said as much uh, in first Corinthians 15, but something you touched on just a moment ago which is the question I really wanted to ask you, which is you, you kind of you mentioned that some people disagree on what a second and third tier issue is. We agree on the main thing. We agree on the first tier issue. But as you briefly mentioned, sometimes we don't always see eye to eye on that distinction between second and third tier issues. So like, while I'm, while I'm thankful for Mueller's triage here, I don't think it's perfect because it, this is one of those issues that comes up. But how do you decide? What if I, what if I think, um, baptism is this particular tier, and you think it's this other tier. How do we work through that together? What kind of counsel would you give to someone? Yeah, so I think uh, I would never join a church without finding out if they have a statement of faith and what they believe. Mm-hmm. So I think in a local church context, you're looking at the statement of faith, and that becomes easy, <laughs> uh, easier, you know, in communicating that uh, we believe in a believer's baptism. Uh, we believe these things about the character and attributes of God. We believe this about salvation. And so that's clearly stated. It's not a moving target. It's something that's been established and is a distinctive of who we are as a church. Mm-hmm. If a church doesn't emphasize, if it doesn't emphasize, you know, their doctrinal commitments, then it's a moving target, and that's going to inter- introduce a lot of confusion. Sure. Would you say that for some? In addition to that, would you say that for people who may not see eye to eye on that distinction between second, and, like where it bleeds over a little bit, where someone thinks it's a second tier, someone thinks the third tier, mm-hmm. would you suggest that maybe they pray through it together? They, they, if it's if it's nothing that might cause animosity between the two, even would you say, well, you know, you guys need you guys need to get together on that, let's talk through it, let's read right. the scripture together, let's pray mm-hmm. about it, and let's see where we're led. Would, would that be a fair way to go to go about that as well? Yes, I think so. I, I, I think there ought to be some difference, too, um, you know, from a pastoral perspective, that uh, pastors are charged to lead the congregation sure. spiritually. Part of determining your church commitment is, what's the leadership committed to? Mm. 
And I think as a pastor, I want to be really careful not to be overbearing on, you know, issues that may be important to me. Sure. <laughs> but there is a, a place for charity and there's a place for uh, liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not good for a pastor not to have convictions about things. Sure. Think about going into the pulpit. Well, it could mean this or it could mean that or, mm-hmm. you know, who, who knows? You know, I, I don't think that's the way to approach doctrinal challenges, mm-hmm. but to enter into it humbly and yet with conviction that this is, this is where I stand on this. And so I think within the church, um, the elders, pastors should give guidance on, on these matters. Sure. We're, we're called to do that. Not, sure. not so much, you know, for it to be a free for all, mm-hmm. but for it to be shepherded. Sure. Okay. Got another question for you then. Let's imagine, uh, we have someone who, affirmed all first-tier issues, at least on paper. So, for example, uh, a real example of this would be Joel Osteen, who pastors the largest church in the country. On paper, their statement of faith, at least the last time I checked, looked pretty solid. I think we would look at that. And for the most part, even though some of the language might be phrased a little bit differently than, than we might prefer, uh, they, they appear, at least on paper, to affirm all first-tier issues. Well, I think you have to look at how is that ministry working out doctrinally their commitments. Sure. And if you listen to Joel Osteen's messages, he rarely mentions any of those truths. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to leave with the thought that the, this really isn't that important to his overall commitment in ministry. Sure. So maybe while it, it's a good start to certainly affirm first-tier issues, when it comes to like maybe you're a college student, we have college students that move away, uh, so they're going, they're going to look at the churches in the area of the school they're attending. Not only look at their statement of faith, but also see what they're actually saying, what they're actually practicing as well. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, how how is the word handled? Is it read? Is it explained? Mm-hmm. Is it expounded? Mm-hmm. Is God the centerpiece of the message? Is is Christ uh, preached? Is there a sense of respect and reverence for the word? Mm-hmm. And that I would be looking at that very carefully, you know, just through the years traveling on vacation and, and attending other churches. Uh, I've been blessed by, you know, those experiences. And I've, some of them have been painful. Sure. Because the word's not honored. It might have been read once, but never referred to again, never explained, never sought to bring to bear on the needs of the congregation. Uh, to hear the pastor, you know, personal thoughts and cultural analysis is not what we need to do on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, this triage conversation really has uh, come to the forefront in recent days with the statements made by Alistair Begg. Uh, the internet has been ablaze for the last 10 days or so uh, regarding uh, Begg's comments, and we're talking about hills to die on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had given counsel to a grandmother who his granddaughter was going to be a part of an LGBTQ wedding. I'm not sure all the details, but I, I did listen to uh, Begg's response and, um, and some of the details. And this has uh, come out with an unbelievable debate. There's enough online to, to investigate for months right. on, this, on this subject. And you know, just with regard to how do I process my involvement as a Christian in an LGBTQ wedding? What, you know, I know you've spent some time with that, Alex. What are your initial thoughts on it? Well, I remember we had talked about this. Uh, we, I think we did a whole podcast um, in 2021, I believe it was. Um, July, June and July of 2021, a whole podcast just on this precise question. Uh, should, should I attend a same-sex wedding? 
And I think what we discussed then, I think my answer kind of stayed the same, which is to say that we're we're bound to what Scripture has called, has said is wrong. Uh, God had designed marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. That marriage is a beautiful thing uh, created by a good and loving God. To attend a marriage is to to not only explicitly but even impl- implicitly endorse it. That your presence there endorses the marriage. And the reason why we know it endorses the marriage is because if you were to turn it down, the fe- the the backlash that comes from turning it down implies that obviously you being there endorses the marriage. And so I think you know while my heart uh, certainly uh, breaks to hear about this grandmother, I mean I I am sympathetic to what Beg where his heart out is as well. Um, certainly sympathetic to that, and I don't want to sweep that under the rug. Ultimately, I think it's, I, I can't say I agree with this counsel there because I think we have to stand on what the, what the word says. And I can love my grandchild while not going. Yes, I think that really is the issue. Um, and that a wedding is a unique event over against having lunch or some kind of other gathering, mm-hmm. a, a birthday party or whatever. You're celebrating a covenantal commitment between a man and a woman marriage divine de- mm-hmm. defined and you know i think of the the statement coming out of um alexander solzhenitsyn who said live not by lies right you know and so you're you would be there affirming something that is abominable mm-hmm. and uh, as god has defined that in scripture so i think that that's right i we could show love without affirming mm-hmm uh, something that God has said is out of bounds uh, to us. I, you know, I think of Alex, Al- Alistair Begg, and have just benefited from his ministry. And mm-hmm. uh, in my mind, he's not canceled, but I, I sure think that was a big pastoral foul ball, sure, and uh, was misplaced. And then um, Begg's response through the sermon, compassion or condemnation, I think was misplaced as well, as he doubled down on doubled down on his uh, position. I don't think was helpful and was really fraught with a lot of mistakes as well. So I'm just praying for that situation. Here's a brother uh, whom I love and have benefited greatly from. Mm -hmm. And um, he's made this position on the LBGTQ wedding that I think is out of order. So how how do I process as a believer? I don't want to blast him online, but to, to know that this is a major shift from where I think we need to be. And I think it opens the door for a lot of compromise in the, in the days ahead to where there's no gospel distinction. You know, when I think of our, our walk with Jesus Christ, Jesus said it's, it's going to be costly. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll cost relationships and even family relationships. We don't long for that. <laughs> but if we're going to stand on the truth, that's a reality. Mm-hmm. And so how we do that, I think, is critical. And, you know, his sermon title says, uh, Compassion or Condemnation. By not going, you're not condemning them. Alex, they're condemned already, which is the state of anyone who's without Christ. Right. So you, there are ways to communicate love outside of that flashpoint of um, this event right. they, they want us to attend. I think something that should really be a pause to us, Alex, is that we're all theologians and none of us have arrived. There are times where we just don't have clarity on things, and we need to walk in humility uh, as we're growing in the truth. And often that comes across like a weakness. Often the position is, I'm going to win the debate, I'm going to win. And certainly we want to contend for the truth earnestly, once for all delivered to the saints. But I think something that 
Dr. Moeller really impressed in that article on the theological triage is that this is moving us toward Christian maturity and to equip uh, our congregation to understand the difference between top-tier matters in the Christian faith and those that require liberty and, and love as we work through them together. You know, I thought we might end our time together today by thinking about the role, you know, we started the conversation talking about doctrine, talking about triage, talking about the importance of doctrine. You know, we've talked a lot over, over the years here about the, the role of sanctification in our lives and that, you know, the good news of the gospel is that we are not saved by works so that no one can boast. So you and I don't have a part to play in our, uh, in our salvation itself. However, you and I do have a part to play in our sanctification, that we can get up each morning and decide to pursue the things of God or not, um, to think about the things of God or not. And so when we think about the role of doctrine with regard to sanctification, you know, I've, I've had conversations with students over the years who more or less will say something along the lines of it, the, the Christian life seems to be boring. You know, and I, and I think, man, that is, that is so far from the truth. And we, but just, just on doctrine alone, you know, there's just always so much more to learn, always, always more deeper water to plunge into, you know, and that the Christian life you know, ought to be marked by hunger. Yeah, we serve and, and love an infinite God whose who's well can never be exhausted. Yeah. And she's thinking about there's always something more to learn, always something more to, to discover about who God is and, and a, have a deeper insight, which is why we can read the same Bible. You know, you do a, you do a Bible reading plan, you know, in a year, you can do that same plan five years in a row, and you're going to learn something new each time, you know, because the God who wrote it can't be exhausted. And so we ought to have a, a hunger in, in our lives. Absolutely. I just think of Jesus again, John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And uh, certainly he is not boring. Right. And when we, I, I think as pastors are challenged to want to hold up these truths, the truths of scripture for God's people to see and to cherish and to savor. Mm -hmm. Alex, thanks for talking with me about theological triage and how as believers we're to work through doctrine. And I pray this will be helpful to our church family and to those who will join us. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and our ministry, or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for taking the time to do that. If you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be a great thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.